right, I want to go to Judges chapter 6 today. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And we're probably going to talk about this topic over the next few weeks as I'm still uh, working with everything that the Lord shared with me during this time away to uh, put it all into words and, and, and to share it with you. But I want to talk to us today about our future. I want to talk to us today about your future. And I want to talk to you today about fighting for your future. Everybody just say my future. How many of you know if you want a good future, it's going to require some fight? Good things don't just happen. Good futures don't just happen. Good futures are created. Good futures are birthed through fight. Good futures are birthed through faith. Good futures are birthed through grabbing the bull by the horns of life, if you will, and demanding that you receive nothing less than the full promises of God concerning you. I'm trying to stay quiet already this morning. So if you want a future for your marriage that's good, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight through forgiveness. You have to fight through saying, I'm sorry. Right? Come on, somebody. If you want a good future for your kids, how many of you know you're going to have to fight? You're going to have to make sure they're in the house of the Lord, even when they don't want to be in the house of the Lord. You're, you're going to have to make them sit down and pray together, even when they don't want to. You're, you're going to have to instill the word of God into them while they're young, so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. There's always an essence of fight that goes into every good thing that is awaiting in our future. We've discovered over the last six weeks that if you want a potty-trained future for your three-year-old, you better have a lot of Skittles on hand, because that's the treat for when you go potty. In Loretta's words, Skittles. And uh, so Skittles. And I'm all right with that because it's one less diaper that has to be changed, right? But there's a fight that goes with that. So any future that you would envision or any future that you would believe that God would have for you, I just want to let you know this morning, it's not going to knock on your door and show up and just be there. It's going to require you and I to exercise faith, exercise obedience and believing for that future. Amen? Amen? So as a church, we need to know that the future that God has for us as a church family, as a body, the new season that he wants to take us into, it's not going to come on the backs of those who would just say, well, I'm here and I'm present and whatever God wants to do, he'll do. It'll come on the backs of those who will, in essence, grab life by the horns and say, no, this is not the future that God has ordained for this house, and we won't see anything less than God's perfect will and his perfect plan for our church. If you believe that, shout amen. amen. So it goes without saying that as believers, we should almost expect that when we're believing God for a bigger future, a bigger tomorrow, we should expect that there will be some type of attack from an adversary. Don't forget your Bible says that the enemy goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whomever he may devour. Who he can devour are those who are not standing presently in faith. 
who are not believing in faith for what God has promised. So as believers, we should almost expect when God speaks to us or gives us a promise or we discover a promise in his word, we should believe, or not believe for, but we should expect that there's going to be some type of attack from the enemy to try to keep us out of the good things that God promised. So don't think it's strange when you get a promise from God and everything in your life goes the opposite direction. It should be expected. So one of the things we have to overcome is kind of the inertia of just being where we are and going through the motions. But not only that do we have to overcome, we have to also overcome the battle for our future. So Judges chapter 6 and in verse 1. I'm going to read this and then we'll break it down a little bit. In case you forgot about me, I'm an audience participation preacher. Which means if you come to the table hungry, you'll get fed. I didn't prepare a second meal. Teaching my kids that. If you don't eat your dinner, that's fine. It's going to sit there. And then two hours from now when you want a snack, there it is. So I didn't prepare a second meal for you today. So if you don't get it, let's get it. All right? Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves, excuse me, uh, made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the people from the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no substance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and with their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste the land that they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So where we come in the context of this story is Israel was in a desperate need for a better future. Are you picking up what's happening? Every time, and I love this, every time that they would plant, any time that they would put seed in the ground, which was expected to produce for their tomorrow, in would come the enemy, and it wasn't a little enemy. Actually, it said so much so that they couldn't be counted. They came in not to quickly you know, grab what they could and run out. They came with their camels. They came with their men. They came with their families. They came with their tents. They just devoured everything Israel had until there was nothing left. And then they would go and they would wait till the next year when Israel would go to plant again. For seven years, this cycle kept happening where they would plant, but what the, what the planting would produce would be devoured. 
For seven years, they would put it in the ground, expecting a better future. And for seven years, the enemy would come in and steal the produce from the ground and leave Israel without. Am I preaching to anybody in the house this morning? Am I preaching to anybody who is believing for a better future, believing for a miracle, believing for a healing in your body, believing for the salvation of an unsaved loved one, and every time you would plant, every time you would pray, every time you fast, it just seems like the enemy comes in and devours that thing which you planted. And for seven years, they go through this cycle. So I would say they're in desperate need for something to change. There's a desperate need for God to work. And they're looking at their future and they're saying, how is this going to happen? And they begin to finally cry out to the Lord because they recognize they can't stay in the cycle forever. I think one of the best days that we can get to as believers is when we come to the place where we say, I can't stay here anymore. I can't stay here anymore. I, I, I think of the leprous men who were at the gate of the city, and they, there was a famine in the city, and the famine got so bad that eventually they said, listen, if we just stay here, we're going to die. If we go give ourselves to, to the enemy, maybe they'll take us as slaves and feed us and we'll live. But if we go and they kill us, it doesn't really matter because we were going to die here anyway. God performed a miracle for those leprous men. When they got there, the enemy had fled. But the point of the story is nothing changed for their future until where they were sitting, they made a decision that I can't stay here anymore. And I'm here to just let somebody know you can't stay where you are anymore. You can't stay defeated anymore. You can't stay broke anymore. You you can't stay with anxiety anymore. Can I tell you as a church, I've come back after six weeks to declare to you, we can't stay here anymore. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about where we are in our faith. I'm talking about how we're reaching our city. I'm talking about how we're impacting our world. I'm talking about what we're believing God for. I'm talking about no more normal services and just going through the mill and going through the motions. And it was a great time together. I don't know about you, but I can't stay here any longer. There are lives hanging in the balance of eternity. And I can't do another three songs in a poem and see you outside. I, what I need to do is I need to get somewhere with a group of people who've decided to within themselves that we can't stay here any longer. We've got to press in and lean in for just a little bit more of God, a little bit more of his will, a little bit more of his promise, a little bit more of his plan, and not let go of it with all the might and the strength that we have. So it's been this way for seven years. They're coming in as thick as locusts. They're coming in in droves, numbers too big to count. Have you ever thought about your future and that's what it seems like? There are too many problems, too many things to overcome. Maybe not your general future, but maybe there's an area in your life where there's just that thing where I, I just don't know if I can get over that. I don't know if that relationship could be restored. I don't know if that, that could ever turn around. I want to remind you today that God can make a difference for your future. But you're going to have to be willing to fight. When I say fight, obviously I'm not talking. What I'm talking about is you have to get aggressive with your faith. Because the Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violence. But the violence sees hold upon the kingdom by force. 
Do you know what the kingdom is? All the gifts, all the fruits, the manifestation of the spirit. And it says that suffers violence from the enemy. But do you know how that comes into manifestation? You would think, well, it's the kingdom of God. If he wants the fruit of the spirit and he wants the gift of the spirit and he wants all those things to happen, then it will happen. No, he says those things will happen. The kingdom will manifest when people rise up by faith, when they rise up with a violence in their faith and say, absolutely not. We won't settle for anything less than the fulfilled kingdom of God. So we have to change how we approach our futures, not just in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. So I want to declare today, can you imagine with all the faith that's in the room, what the Lord can do? He's more than able. I want to continue the story on now in Judges 6, verse 11. And now it says, the angel of the Lord came. Now, some theologians would argue this, and I'm not leaning one way or the other, but when in the Old Testament, when it would speak of the angel of the Lord, it would actually speak of God himself. It was an incarnate future Jesus, if you will. Some believe that, some don't. But what I think this is significant is right here is where Israel is. They're in this bad season. It's been a cycle for seven years. And in the middle of that, God himself comes and steps down into the problem. We'll continue on. And while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Another translation says warrior. Another translation says hero. I love that, O mighty hero. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our forefathers recounted to us, saying, did the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. As one man. A couple things I want you to notice here today is where we find Gideon. Again, this has been a cycle for seven years. So earlier in the verse, it gave us a clue that they would go and find caves to hide in, and they would go to remote places to try to hide. So when the Midianites would come, they would be safe. So they've all kind of gotten accustomed to running and hiding whenever the Midianites were coming. But in this story, we find Gideon, and he's down in the wine press. And actually, it says he's at the bottom of the wine press, and he's threshing wheat. Well, that's a problem. Because wheat's not meant to be thrushed in the wine press. A wine press is for wine, right? So it's not supposed to work that way. And actually the way it would work is in the wine press, they, they would, would stomp on the grapes and press the grapes. And the juices would begin to flow down the wine press. And, be, and you know, all the liquid would, would gather at the bottom. That's how the wine press would work. So it's interesting that Gideon would be down at the bottom of the wine press where the juice gathers, 
when history would tell us if you were thrashing wheat, you would actually go to the top of a high hill because you would separate the wheat from, from the, 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 uh, the chaff and then you'd throw it up into the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and you would be left with the good seed. So here's Gideon trying to process the wheat and he's doing it at the bottom of a wine press where there's absolutely no wind. This process would have been very difficult, would have been very messy, trying to separate wheat from the chaff in the midst of grapes and juice and not get the two combined would be a very difficult process. So this kind of shows us where Gideon is at mentally, where Gideon's at spiritually. There's fear involved here with Gideon. He's so afraid of the Midianites that he begins to separate the wheat in the wine press. But what I want you to see today is there's a system here, a system that he's built around the Midianites coming. A system that he put in place so his food doesn't get taken. So it's in this context of Midian hiding out, in this context of Midian threshing wheat where he shouldn't be threshing wheat, that the angel of the Lord steps down and sees Gideon. And in the midst of that, he looks at Gideon and he says, Gideon, you mighty hero. The Lord is with you. Of course, Gideon responds, well, then why has all of this happened? Why is this happening to us? I want you to see that he calls him a hero. He calls him a warrior. He calls him a man of valor. When Gideon doesn't see that in himself. And actually, after he calls Gideon that, Gideon really doesn't give any credit to it. He doesn't really respond to it. He doesn't dispute it. He just kind of bypasses. And really, if you read the whole passage, you kind of see that Gideon continues to ignore this phrase, mighty man of valor, you warrior, you hero. And I want to submit to you today that I believe that's because Gideon is in survival mode. Gideon's in survival mode. It's not that he's given up on life. It's that he's given up on a future that's functional. Take that in for a minute. He didn't give up on life. He just gave up on the fact that there would ever be a future for him that's functional. He's resigned to the fact that never again would he stand on the top of the mountain and take the, the wheat and throw it into the air as it should be. He's resolved to the fact that the rest of his life he will have to make do with the dysfunction that is around him because there's nothing he can do to change the dysfunction to create a better future. He's given up on a future that's bright, a future that's promising. He's placed himself in survival mode. And survival mode will always cause you to keep your head down. Survival mode will always cause you to not look for a better tomorrow. Survival mode will always cause you to say, well, I tried and it wasn't enough. I tried and it didn't work out. I've tried and it didn't happen for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a system around me where I can function within the dysfunction. 
And we can live our entire lives in a system of dysfunction. And we resolve to say, well, that's just the way my marriage is. That's just the way my children, that's just how, you know, the society is. That's just how culture is. There's nothing that we can do to change it. Really? The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of all of us at this very moment. One can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. Come on, at the mention of his name, every knee, every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But we instead go into survival mode, build a system for the dysfunction. We've all fallen into survival mode at some point in our life. I don't about you, but you know, you can start the beginning of the year. Sarah and I were talking about this with the kids starting back at school, you know, praying specific prayers over them in the morning where, you know, I, I, we, we pray over our children, you know, that they're going to be men and women of God and they're going to change nations. And, you know, three weeks later, you know, you're just praying that we can get out the door without anyone dying. And, uh, you know, y'all been there and you go into survival mode because it's survival mode. But to be intentional, you have to pull yourself out of survival mode and say, no, I have to be intentional. I have to grab this situation by the horns and believe for the future that God's calling it to have. Anxiety will put you in survival mode. Anxiety will cause you to lower your expectations. Calls you to believe that you can't push past it. You'll never come out of it. Listen, whenever you place yourself in a position of lacking trust in God, and you're putting your head down, and you're just lowering your expectations that you're not going to be able to hear what God is saying about you. Whenever you lower your expectations and you put your head down, you're not going to be able to hear what God says about you. That was Gideon. The angel of the Lord opens up saying, hey, mighty man of valor. And Gideon just glosses over it. Why? Because when you're in survival mode, you won't be able to hear what the Lord is saying about you. Many of us are like Gideon. When we get a view or a glimpse of what tomorrow could be like, we often recount our disappointments. Well, if God was actually working in my life, then why is this this way and why is that that way? And we begin to recount our disappointments and why it hasn't worked and why it won't work. And we just resolve to stay in the dysfunction instead of moving forward. Today, I want to call you out of that, and I want you to hear the word of the Lord about you and hear the word of the Lord over you. Because there are things that God speaks over your life, and there are things that God still wants to make happen in your life, but you're going to have to be able to hear what he says about you for you to be able to walk in it. 
You're going to have have to hear that he says, listen, I know you think fathering is, you know, you've had a corrupt father and a corrupt grandfather, and, you know, that's just not in your DNA, and you're all going to struggle in that area, but you need to hear the word of the Lord say, no, you are a great father. You are a father that follows the heart of God. You are a gift to your children. You need to hear that. Some of you who, you know, you just believe that, you know, you were rejected and abused or damaged as a child, that you just believe that everybody in life will always reject you and nobody's a true friend to you and your future's always going to be broken like that and no one's ever going to like you and there's just that internal voice and struggle going on. Before you ever arrive into a better future, you first need to hear what the Lord is saying over you. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. I came and I died on a cross because you had such value to me that I had to have you back for eternity. I went, I defeated hell and the grave so that I could have a relationship with you. That's how costly you are. That's how valuable, valuable you are. You know, oftentimes I think we don't excel in life because we, we think that being, putting ourselves down is being humble in the eyes of God. Well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm okay at business, but you know, I'm not, I'm not great. Listen, If God gifted you with a gift of business, you tearing it down doesn't bring God any honor. Acknowledging that this is a gift of God in my life will cause you to excel and push it forward. Why? Because you're responding to what God spoke over you by your God-given talents, by investing back into your gifting. Some people, well, it, you know, it, it, it's prideful to talk about your gifting or want to improve in your gifting. No, no, no. If you value what God gave you, you'll do everything you can to, to excel at it, to get behind it. But rejection will cause us to shrink back, step down, hang our heads, and make a survival plan to stay in the dysfunction. I don't know if you've been around faith for any period of time, but there's always going to be unanswered questions. <laughs> We're never going to know how it's all going to work out. We're never going to know how God's going to do it. And here's what I would do. If I was God, I would do this thing and then that thing over here. And then it just seems like God just steps in and says, no, I'm going to make it look the exact opposite of how it should be to get you into a place where it is absolutely nothing to do with you. And that's when I'll show up. That's when I'll make it happen. What's interesting is the battle that Gideon decided to, decided to fight, because either way, you're fighting a battle. I don't know if you know that. You're, you're always fighting a battle. So the battle that Gideon decided to fight was the battle of threshing the wheat in a place that he never should have been threshing the wheat. It was taking more energy. It was taking more mind. It was taking longer of his time. It was, you know, it was pulling him away from his family. He was tired. He was, you know, broken. It, it, it was a big thing to try to go to the, the, the bring the wheat down in, into the great press and do it there. So he's fighting a battle with the wheat instead of facing a battle with his adversary that he should have been facing all along. Fighting the smaller battles will always cost you more in the end. 
I submit to you today, today, are there areas of dysfunction around your lives, around our lives, around our church, that we've just resolved to say that's how it is. We've just resolved to say it will never be better. But the angel comes and says, mighty man of valor. I love that he just lets those words hang in the air. Just lets it hang there. He doesn't demand a response from Gideon. He just lets it hang there. And I wonder if there are words that God has spoken over your life that you're too afraid to reach out and grab. You feel like you're too dysfunctional to ever step into the identity that God's called you to be, that God's called you to have. Come on, somebody. Is there a call in your life, a purpose in your life that's just kind of hanging in the air? But I can't go back to school, and they'll never support me, and I don't have the finances, and I'm not educated enough, and I don't have the looks enough, and I'm born on the wrong side of the tracks, and nobody in my family's ever done that, or I did it before, and it didn't work out. And, but the call of God just kind of remains hanging in the air. I don't know if you know this or not, but you will never get a second call. Do you know that? You'll never get a second call. Like, if God's called you to be an educator and to pour in the lives of children, and that's the call and the passion and the drive on your life, but you're not willing to go to school to get the certificate that you need to stand in front of those children in that classroom, you'll get into a place of dysfunction where you build a world around you where you're surviving, but God will never wake up and say, you know what, she's not going to do that, so let's just change her call. You'll never get a second call. You were born with the call. You were born with the anointing. You were born with the drive. You were born with the vision. It's not going anywhere. So the choice that's set before us is either we can run from the call, build a world of dysfunction where we're surviving, but we're not thriving. Or you can say, you know what, I've wasted too many years running from what God's called me to do. It's time I stepped in to the full purpose and the full call of God. It's time I become the intercessor that God's called me to be. It's time I become the preacher God's called me to be. It's time I become the friend. I become the mother. I become the spouse. I become the parent. I become the business owner, the real estate developer. Whatever it is that God's put in front of you, the call is never going to change. So he just hangs it in the air. Gideon, you're a man of valor. I know right now you're at the bottom of the wine press in hiding. You know, it's interesting. He didn't come to Gideon when Gideon was at the dinner table on his way to work. He came to Gideon in the very place where he was the most opposite of the call of God. That's where he found Gideon. At his lowest point, where he looked nothing like a man of valor, valor, in hiding, running, threshing wheat in a wine press. Don't 
be dismayed if where you are looks nothing like the future that God promised you. That's exactly where God steps in. And he just reminds you, you're a man of valor. You're a woman of valor. You're a warrior. You're a teacher. So Gideon goes and starts making excuses. Well, God, if this didn't happen and if they weren't coming in, don't you know they're stealing our crops? And God, just if you keep reading the text, he just reminds him, Gideon, you're a man of valor. Gideon, I'm with you. Gideon, I've sent you. Gideon, I'm with you. Gideon, I sent you. Have you ever felt like everything's easier for everyone else? Do you ever feel like other people are just handed it so easy? And for you, it takes work. It's hard. I've told you this before, but even when I was in school, the worst thing I hated of everything else was reading in public. I would dread that thing. That, I have often said that's, that in baseball is where I learned to pray in the spirit because in our reading class, a teacher thought it would be a great idea to have all the kids go around and you know, when you get to your turn, you read the next chapter. And I would try to time out, like, okay, if they read there to there and they read that, then I should be around here. And I try to pre-read the chapter you know, out loud, like in my head, so that when I got there, I wasn't stumbling over words. And it never worked out that way. I was always a chapter you know, because math wasn't my greatest subject either. So the whole thing, the whole system was working against me, really. And, uh, you know, so to stand behind a pulpit and read the word of God to people for a living is an interesting thing. And there are so many things in my life where, you know, you often hear it said, women with straight hair, they look at women with curly hair because they want curly hair, and the women with curly hair look at the women with the straight hair, and you know, you go to the beach and you're just like, I don't know how they are born just with that. You know, how do they just like come out of the womb like perfect physique, and it's like, I eat like, you know, a little bit, and it's like, oh, never. there goes three weeks of hard work. I knew that was going to happen. And I begin to think about that, and I begin to think about Saul and David. Saul was very much, in a way, given everything that David was promised, but given it easy. Saul, the Bible says, appeared on the outside perfect. I mean, Israel looked at Saul and said, yep, that's, that's what we want as a king. He's tall. And actually, it says about David that he was, he was very homely looking, if you will, and even so much so that, you know, even with all the brothers, it was like, no, he couldn't certainly be king. David, you know, wasn't born with the strength and the stamina as a warrior as Saul was. David had to go back to the backside of the desert and hang out with some stinky sheep and learn there how to fight. So what I'm I'm bringing all this up to say is if you're always looking at how easy somebody else has your dream. Well, I don't know. They can just open their mouth and sing and I go off key. All right, but you know, I, I don't know why they can just do it and you can't do it. Get some lessons. Start practicing. Start investing a little bit into your gift. 
Because as long as you're playing in that excuse system, well, God, it's not been easy for me, and God, it's been hard, and God, it's not working out, and God, it's been a challenge, and it just seems like everybody else has it, you will never hear the voice of God speaking over your life, your true identity, and you will never arrive at a better future. But what will happen is you will spend years and decades and maybe a lifetime going around the same mountain, thinking the same things, going through the same problems, living dysfunctionally. So the title of my message, and I know I'm saying it at my ending, <laughs> but it's we got to get back in the game. We have to get back in the game. Nothing's going to happen if we're not in the game. If Gideon decided to stay at the bottom of the wine press, they would have continued past the seven years of year after year after year being devoured. It wasn't until Gideon heard the voice of the Lord, said, even though I'm afraid, I will trust in what God has said over how I feel. It's a key right there. I'll trust what God said over how I feel, and I'll move forward in the strength that I have, and I'll see victory. You know, Gideon's story goes on. He gather troops, and God said, cut them down. Cut them down. Cut them down. What do you mean cut them down? They, 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 we can't even count how many they have. Nothing is impossible with God. But if we don't get in the arena, we get nothing. If you don't fight, you don't get the spoils. It's the basis of my message, what I've come to encourage you today, and this is what God has been speaking to me over the last several weeks, is where have there been areas in my life, in our church, in my family, that we've gone through the motions and built a pattern of dysfunction and just resolved that that's how it is? And where does God want to remind me to listen to what I've called you to be? You know, as we have gone to visit other churches over these last few weeks and celebrate, you know, we have some amazing houses of worship. But it gets me fired up because there's something different about this house. I'm not saying that theirs is worse and ours I don't get. We, every house has a, a unique, specific calling and a voice. But it gets me fired up about the vision that God gave this house. And some of the things that God began to speak to me, if there have been, you know, just even some places within our church where I'm just like, well, it just is what it is. I don't know. Where God said, no, 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 no. We have to protect what God called us to be more than anything else. And not be swayed by the opinions of people and they don't like this and that one doesn't like that. And society and culture says you should never do this. And what if somebody falls out in the spirit? And what if somebody prays in tongue? And what if they're offended? And you know, what if this thing happens over here? And all of these things, above all of that, we need to protect who has God called us to be and fight for that with every ounce of breath in our being. We're called to be a warring, worshiping church. So we fight. Even when we don't feel like it, we war and we worship. Real quickly, I want to show you, and I am closing this quick video, but we took the kids down to the beach for just a day at Ocean City because 
Someone's like, people, like, why don't you stay longer? Well, you try staying with four kids in sand and a one-year-old and a three-year-old. It's just it's like, can we move this on and get home, please? Uh, but my daughter Loretta was so excited because we've been to the beach with them before, but she doesn't remember it. And uh, she's been going through this phase where she just doesn't ride in the car well. So Judy looked at her. Jeremiah said her name. And it's like, you know, so we, you know, as you do, you're like, Hey, Loretta, we're going to the beach. We're going to get seashells. And man, she grabbed that word of she's getting seashells with every ounce of her being. And for days, all we heard was about going to the beach and she's getting these seashells. And she's talking about them and she's going to bring them home. She's going to put them in her room. And you're like, yep, seashells. And every hour on the drive there that she's screaming, it's like, Loretta, we're going to get seashells. We're so excited for seashells. So we get there. We get set up. Kids come down to the water. Let me show you. Go ahead, Hannah, and play that. There's Loretta. I want to remind you that the seashells are out where the other kids are. So we had a problem here. The seashells are in the water. They're not in the dry sand. <laughs> That's enough, Hannah. Thank you. So you see, the problem we had is the seashells were in that real shallow part of the water just a few steps in. The other kids are picking them up left and right. And she's so excited, she wants the seashells. But I'm trying to convince her that, Loretta, the seashells aren't up here. You only get the seashells if you get in the waves. I've got to maybe preach it over here a little bit. She wanted them so bad. With every ounce of her being, she wanted them. But wanting them doesn't equal getting them. She doesn't get them unless she pushes past the fear of the waves and steps into the water. Because as soon as you push past the fear and step into the water, you find the promise of God on the other side of the fear. Is anybody in the house with me? So we have to move out of the cycle of dysfunction and the cycle of fear and the cycle of this is how it's always going to be. And we have to realize if I want it, I got to rise up in faith. I got to move forward. I got to grab a hold of it with every ounce of my being and never let it go. Just so you know, two minutes before we left, she got over her fear and she got her seashells. Of course, on the other side of that, it was two minutes before we were leaving, so then she didn't want to leave. So it's like, whatever. <laughs> Team, you can come, but I want to read you a portion of Scripture. Hebrews 11, very familiar. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received the accommodation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Listen, 
By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place to receive his inheritance. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. It goes on, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and uh, greeted them from afar. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, the people crossed into the Red Sea on dry land. By faith. I love how it ends. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Samson of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. And all these were through faith. Through faith. You don't get the spoils of war if you don't fight. The fight of faith is waged in the arena of your expectation. What are you expecting God to do? I've determined that the church that I want to see is a church that is literally electric in our services. Electric with expectation. Electrified with faith. Electric believing that anything is possible and anything can happen. And when we get together, it probably will happen. That the dead would be raised, that calls of God would be heard, that lives would be restored. And when we come together, it's not waiting out to see maybe what God would do. It's us arriving together in the arena of faith, guarding the expectation. Understand, that's why Sunday mornings are hard. That's why it's hard to get out of bed. That's why your kids lose their shoe and car keys and everything else and you fight with your spouse on the way to church because he's just trying to bring down your expectation of what can happen when the people of God get together and I'm here to tell you I'm grabbing this church by the horns and I'm saying we are going to believe God for bigger and better we're not going to have any more normal services but we're going to press in and press in and press in and press in because by faith by faith by faith your world can turn around by faith